As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. A message of mercy. A talk by Paul Ellard at the 2018 Immaculata Mission School in Hobart, Tasmania. All right. <clears throat> so, we want to talk about the message of divine mercy. I just want to say from the beginning, we all have devotion to saints, right? I love Pier Giorgio, and we all have our favorite saints, right? The message of divine mercy is not just another devotion. It is very, very powerful because Jesus is giving us a message that expresses the truth that lies at the heart of the gospel. And some people say, yeah, that's right. What about all the fuss about mercy? It's just the gospel message. But we haven't understood mercy. We really haven't. And um, so Jesus is calling us to go deeper into this message. And the saint who brought it to us is Saint Faustina, but we're actually not going to talk much about Saint Faustina. It's not about her. It's about the messages that Jesus gave to us for us. So we want to spend our valuable time on looking at those. John Paul II was so deeply connected to this message because he saw them more as just a collection of private revelations. Rather, he saw them as prophetic revelations. In other words, revelations given to us by God to proclaim the heart of the gospel, especially suited to the needs of our times. So our story begins with um, St. Faustina. She, a Polish nun, she died 33 years of age, same number of years as Jesus lived. And... Um, she only had a few terms of formal schooling. At 20 years of age, she entered the convent, the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, and took this, the name Sister Faustina. Between 1930 and 1938, Jesus appeared to her and asked her to proclaim this message of mercy to the whole world. And he did this by asking her to write down in these notebooks in fact, he used to call her my secretary. And so she would write down these conversations with Jesus. And she ended up with six notebooks over 477 pages of her own handwriting. And we have the book now today, The Divine Mercy in My Soul, a Diary of St. Faustina. Absolute essential reading for every person who wants to take the spiritual journey serious. It's not just about mercy, it's the whole of our spirituality is in there. Um, I love this book. I just never tire of reading it. And all the words of Jesus are in bold, so you can just open it anywhere and just start reading the bold messages, and boy, do they speak. But what happened was St. Faustina only had two terms of schooling, so her punctuation of commas and all that stuff wasn't all that good. And then one dear nun in the convent said, oh, I'll translate it into Italian and we'll give it to the Vatican. And her translations weren't too good. <laughs> and sometimes when you read the diary, what Jesus was saying read like St. Faustina was saying it. And so it got submitted to the Vatican and the Vatican banned it. <laughs> the Vatican banned it. Well, you can imagine how St. Faustina's community was. They were just cut to the core about this. This was terrible disaster because they knew they had a spiritual gem. And in, this, in these days, Faustina wasn't even, the beatification process hadn't even really begun. So this was a real bitter blow for them. So 
they, um, they got to the local bishop, local archbishop, and said, look, will you, you've got to try and help us lift this ban on this book. It's, so he said, look, get a proper translation. Get it done. I'll personally intervene and we'll see if we can get this ban lifted. And so Jesus actually predicted that the ban would come. He said, this message would almost die, but it will come back bigger than ever. And so um, it did. In April of 1978, that ban was lifted. And the bishop who helped lift that ban six months later became Pope John Paul II. So John Paul has had an integral love of this message. And he said that this message is one of the key things of his pontificate. He said the day that the, the Feast of Mercy was proclaimed, we'll talk about later, he said, it, this is the happiest day of my life. Because he felt he had fulfilled what Jesus had asked. So, what I want to do now is I want to play you, you, you ever watched that? They used to have that late night show on TV, you know, the top ten? Do you ever used to watch that? Um, David Letterman, he used to have his top ten, right? Okay, well, this is the top 20 mind-blowing statements of St. Faustina, right? <clears throat> or that Jesus gave to St. Faustina. <clears throat> As we go through them, I want you to note the style of the language. I was presenting this talk for many years, and one day the Lord prompted me, look at the language. Suddenly, the whole message took on a whole new meaning of what it, what it meant. So these words that... I'm talking about, I've put in italics, it's not on the diary, but I've put it on just to help us to get in and to, and to, and to get to the message. <clears throat> so let's start and we'll clear up a few things as we go and then we'll get into it. Okay, Jesus says, now this, I must stress, this is Jesus' mechanical dictation. When I did my scripture studies, the one thing they always pound home, if you listen to Scott Hahn, he always says, scripture is not mechanical dictation. The Holy Spirit didn't say to Matthew, Matthew, write after me, boom, boom, and dictated, and they wrote down word for word. That's not how scripture came about. doesn't mean it's not inspired. It is inspired, but just the style. This is mechanical dictation. You'll hear Jesus say, my secretary, write. And she literally writes word for word what he says. So that makes them, you can't just dismiss this language. It's not just the style of the writer. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I cannot punish even the greatest sinner if he makes appeal to my compassion. But on the contrary, I justify him in my unfathomable, bottomless, and inscrutable mercy. Right, before as I come as just judge, I first open wide the door of my mercy. He who refuses to pass through the door of my mercy must pass through the door of my justice. Now, we talked about this in my first talk a few days ago, but this is so important. We're going to cover it again because you, I don't think you can hear it enough. It's really important because if you get it, all the pieces fit together. This is the key point. Justice is you get what you deserve. Rob a bank, I'm going to go to jail. Right? Do the crime, do the time. And when we say God is just, it's a little bit different what we're saying. When we say God is just, we're meaning he's against injustice or injustice, right? That's what we mean. But when Jesus is using the term here, he's using it in a, in a very specific way. So don't get the terms confused, but understand what this means. Huh? Justice is you get what you deserve, while mercy is the compassion that you get 
that you don't deserve. You don't do anything to get mercy. It's like there's the story of this guy who was being executed and his mother sang out, Judge, give him mercy. And somebody in the crowd says, he doesn't deserve mercy. He says, that's right. That's why he needs mercy. <laughs> we don't deserve mercy, right? We get this. So, and so on the previous slide, Jesus says, if you don't come through the door of my mercy, you're going to have to come through the door of justice. So this is how you can lose your salvation. You come through the door of justice. You don't claim the mercy. You get to face God on, on your deathbed and you see what you've done. And if you don't repent, if you say, oh, no, no, that's, you're not being fair, I, I, and you try and defend yourself, or you don't believe, or you're angry with God, or whatever it is, you will send yourself to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. You will send yourself to hell. Because you'll know, I can't go to that light. It's too, it's too beautiful. right? And you, it's, it's a tragedy. Hell exists. On the other hand, Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. It's so easy to be saved in some ways. It's so easy. You can be the greatest sinner of all. If you understand how mercy works, you will be saved. Come, I'm not encouraging you to sin, by the way. <laughs> Come through the door of justice, of mercy. Come through the door of mercy and all will be forgiven. And we're about to see what Jesus says about how generous he is with this mercy. Just in case you think I'm exaggerating, you watch as we go through. Jesus says, proclaim that mercy is the greatest attribute of God. If I'd have asked you, would you, what's the greatest attribute of God? I'm not sure I would have said mercy. I desire that the whole world know my infinite mercy. I desire to grant unimaginable graces to those souls who trust in my mercy. Unimaginable grace. Think of the thing that you want most in this world. God wants to give you something even better that you haven't even imagined. I have three unimaginable graces in my life. I'll share one is my wife. <laughs> if you were at the last talk, you'll probably know why. She has an unimaginable grace. There are a couple of others I'll keep private. But we all have them. I'm sure we all have unimaginable graces. Jesus wants to give us these things. What is it? Trust is the way we get mercy. We'll have more to say. Jesus says, Oh, if sinners knew my mercy, they would not perish in great numbers. Hell exists. Souls are being lost. It's a tragedy. It doesn't have to happen. You just have to understand this mercy. You have to understand it. I have to understand it. And then you have to go out and tell the world, proclaim the world God's mercy. So no soul is lost. Tell sinful souls not to be afraid to approach me. Speak to them of my great mercy. The soul, the loss of each soul plunges me into mortal sadness. It's Jesus losing a soul is like a mother losing a child. You always console me when you pray for sinners. The prayer most pleasing to me is the prayer for the conversion of sinners. Know, my daughter, that this prayer is always heard and answered. So when you pray to God, you say, Lord, can I have that Lamborghini? Probably he won't give it to you. But if you say, can I pray for the conversion of sinners, you can be 100% sure that prayer will be answered. I desire that you know more profoundly the love that burns in my heart for souls 
And you will understand this when you meditate upon my passion. This is really powerful. Meditating on the passion. Call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you say this prayer with a contrite heart and with faith, there's that trust element, on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. This is the prayer. O blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. It took me, what, seven seconds to say that prayer? You say that prayer with faith and trust, you will save a soul. You say that every day when you get to heaven, there's going to be a crowd of people around you. Who are all these people? These are all the people you helped save because of that prayer that you said. And look at what's happened today. Does anyone remember our readings from Mass? The blood and the water. That I heard it. And I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> the sisters didn't arrange it. It's providence arranged this, that we should be talking about this. Uh, and it's in the scriptures. So the Lord really wants us to take this on board. Tell the world about my mercy and my love. The flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them out on human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not want to accept them. Do whatever is within your power to spread devotion to my mercy. I will make up for what you lack. You don't have to be good at this. Just step out and do it. Tell aching mankind to snuggle close to my merciful heart and I will fill it with peace. When was the last time you heard Jesus say, snuggle close? That's what I mean by the words, like Jesus really coming to us at the heart and saying, you get it, guys? I love you. I love you. Right? Look at this. This is the Father just frustrated because souls are being lost and he loves them and it's so easy to be saved if they just humble themselves and come with humble, repentant heart and trust. That trust is very important. This message of divine mercy is so important for the world that Jesus has given us four very significant gifts in order for us to take this message seriously. It's just not another devotion. The four gifts are the image of the divine mercy, the hour of mercy, the chaplet of mercy, and the feast of mercy. Each of these are incredible. And the feast of mercy, well, this is going to blow your mind when we get into that. Let's start. Jesus um, appeared to St. Faustina, 22nd of February, 1931. He appeared like this, and he said to St. Faustina, paint an image according to the pattern you see with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. Hello? I also promise victory over its enemies here on earth especially at the hour of death. I myself will defend it with my own glory. That's a one heck of a statement. I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. First of all, what does venerate the image? Well, there will be lots of things. I'm going to venerate this image here. Right? So I just go up and I go, kiss Jesus, I trust in you. Simple thing like that. 
venerate the image. So you're going to say to me, what, is that all I've got to do and I'm, going, I'm not going to perish? I don't have to go to Mass on Sunday? To... No, that's not what I mean. What Jesus is saying is that if you venerate this image, I will give you the graces to be faithful to the teachings of the church, to be able to live out these things. Okay. Jesus said, I will save those cities and houses in which this image will be found. Wouldn't I love to see one above every house of parliament in every state? <laughs> Likewise, I protect the persons who honour and trust in my mercy. I have a, Obviously, I have a divine mercy image in my house. I heard one day one of the neighbours said, Do you realise every house in the cul-de-sac has been broken into and stolen? Not mine. <laughs> I don't want to be smug, but, um, you know, the Lord looks after us, right? The graces of my mercy are drawn by means of one vessel only, that is, trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive. Souls that trust boundlessly are great comfort to me, because I pour all the treasures of my graces into them. I rejoice that they ask for much, because it is my desire to give much. And just in case we didn't get it, it repeats, very much. God wants to give us unimaginable graces, boundless treasures into our hearts. All we have to do is trust. Pray as much as you can for the dying. By your entities, obtain for them trust in my mercy, because they have the most need of trust and have it the least. The grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moments depends upon your prayer. Sooner would heaven and earth turn into nothingness than would my mercy not embrace a trusting soul. Look at the power of that language. He's not just saying, trust me. He's like, what has he got to... What stronger language could he use? How many different ways can he say it in order to jolt us and make us go, oh, there's something big here. There are many stories I can tell you in my own family and friends. One of my mates, he's the, he was the best man at my wedding. Um, him and his wife, both from Singapore. All the families in Singapore. One day they got a call. His wife, Catherine, got the call. Your brother-in-law is dying. If you want to see him, you better come to Singapore immediately. So she jumped on the plane and went, and Thomas couldn't go, and he stayed behind. So he, she went over there, and she loves the divine mercy. She got there, but a bit of a tension in the family because her sister is um, Catholic, and she married a man who's Buddhist. He's the man that's dying. He's, he's the Buddhist. So all his family are Buddhist. So they are not telling the kids what's happening because they don't want to upset them. She comes there and says, look, kids, you've got to know, your dad's dying and you need to pray for him. So she teaches the kids, Chaplet of Mercy, all these little kids, beautifully playing Chaplet of Mercy. It just melts the Lord's heart when kids pray like that. So they're praying for their father. She said, I'm in the hospital bed and there's just all the family, all the Buddhists there and they're in denial and not, they don't want to talk about Christianity and all of that. So, so anyway, she said, it's about midnight. All the family's gone home. There's just her next to the bed and her sister and one other person in the room. She said, I'm sitting there and I'm dozing off. 
And she says, I hear this inner voice. Wake up. Why are you sleeping? And she kind of thinks, oh my goodness, it's like 12 apostles in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, you know. And he says, proclaim my mercy. So she starts to talk to him about Jesus. And, he's, and he's, his eyes had closed up. He'd been thrashing in the bedclothes um, these last hours, and he wasn't, wasn't at peace. And um, she starts talking to him about Jesus. And he says, oh, you know, I know my wife's Christian Catholic, but I, I'm, I'm Buddhist, and I've always been a bit confused. And she just started talking. She said, Jesus is the only way for your salvation. Jesus died on a cross for you. And she starts going through the very fundamentals of Christianity, right? Huh? Anyway, he's taking it all in, and he starts. And her sister's on the side, going, "Wow, she's never heard her do this, right?" Anyway, and then she says, um, "She says, you know, in special circumstances like this, I could baptize you, a Christian, if you wanted, but you would have to really want it." And he said, "I want it. I want it. I want it." Three times, Catherine gets up, picks up the plastic cup, walks over to the sink. Fills it with water, comes up to him and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? Her sister's like, <laughs> she's there. She said to her later, Is this the kind of work you do a lot in, in Sydney? You know? <laughs> Catherine says, I've never done it before in my life. Anyway, just had this the Holy Spirit driven her. Anyway, Imchi said it was incredible. As soon as she baptized him, this peace came over the man. And he's no longer thrashing in the bedclothes. And he's actually, his eyes actually opened. He started talking about the love of his family and how much he loved his family. And he said, you know, I'm tired now. And he rolled over and he passed away. Anyway, at the wake, the next, because in, in Asian culture they have the wake before the actual burial. Right? So they're having a wake and that one of the other relatives who's Christian came up to Catherine and just quietly said, you know, I had a really weird dream last night. She said, I, I saw my uncle being carried by Jesus. And I thought, that can't be right. He's, he's not Christian. Catherine looks up and tells her the story, and the two of them are like, oh, my goodness. Right? In, in the background, what's happening all of this? The children are saying, chaplet of mercy. This stuff is real. Right? I could tell you stories on and on and on. I haven't got a lot of time. But, you know, my own mum. I talk about my I lost my mum in February, so I'm still a bit raw on it. But you know, mercy is powerful. The, the Lord just—I got—I got a message, a word of knowledge. I was to go to the hospital. The hospital rang me and said, "Your, your mum, part of her bowel has, has, has died. So we want to know what you want us to do. We can operate, take out thirty percent of her bowel, and she have a colostomy bag. But my mum's ninety. They said it. But at ninety years of age, she probably won't last." We recommend you don't. I said, and if I don't, she said, well, she'll die within 24 hours. What decision do you want? I just said, I can't make that decision. And I, it's, it's in the early hours of the morning. This is, right? It's three o'clock in the morning. I looked up at the divine mercy image and I just said, Jesus, I, I can't make this decision. I, I just, whatever decision I make, I'm going to regret. And I said, I spoke to my sister about it and she was the same. I just I just said, Jesus, come and take complete control of the situation. I, am, I cannot do this. I need your grace. Come and take complete control. You know, I, I rang a very, very holy person that is one of my unimaginable gifts, actually. And 
I rang her at three in the morning. She doesn't bat an eyelid. She said, let me pray and I'll get back to you. So the phone rang. And they picked up the phone. They thought it was her coming back and it was the hospital. And they said, your mother's taken a turn for the worse. She's not expected to last a few hours. You need to come in immediately. So in one sense, I was relieved because the Lord had intervened. In another sense, I'm going to lose my mum, you know. So got in the car, my sister and I, and we drove to hospital. Anyway, on the way there, the phone rings as my friend. She said, I've discerned the Lord's thing, and I, she's very gifted in the spirit. She said, no, you need to do a few things, Paul. You need to, so we need to make sure you get a Catholic priest to anoint her. Three o'clock in the morning, right? You need to get a Catholic priest to anoint her. You need to go there and say the chaplet of mercy. And you need to surrender your mum because Jesus is going to take her gently to himself. Beautiful words. And my mum's like me. We're a bit sooks when it comes to pain and suffering in hospitals. We're we're a bit sooky, you know. So I I got there. I rang. I rang earlier. I had rang earlier for a priest. And the, uh, the, the, the priest left the message, yeah, I'll go in the morning. But then when I got the later message about things were really bad, I said to the doctor, can you ring the local chaplain? Because if I ring, they just think I'm just being you know, pedantic. If you ring, they'll know it's emergency. And he came back to me, so I rang, but there's no one there. I just left an answering machine. So I'm thinking, oh, great. So anyway, I get out and I'm walking out. And it's St. It's George Hospital, normally packed, but at four in the morning, it's like <laughs> nobody there. And coming out is a um, Filipino priest that I know, Father Gabby, right? I said, Father Gabby, have you just seen my mum? And he said, yeah, I anointed her and she was awake. And I go, oh, just just the joy in my heart that I know I've done. Right? So I fulfilled one of the things I was asked of me, to have the priest. And I went in there and I got in and they put mum in a separate room and they said, look, we've just given her an injection to settle her down. So my sister and I, we sat there and we prayed this chaplet, right? We'd finished the chaplet, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and she passed away. So my sister and I, we walked out of there and we were, we were grieved, but we were, there was this incredible peace that, that we had because I just knew my mum was, was now in a beautiful place. So these things are very real. I, just, I tell you story after story after story, but the bottom line for you is when you get that call, come and see your friend so-and-so is going to pass away, start saying that chaplet. You sit in their hospital bed, even if you can't say it aloud, say it quietly. You can't even get the hospital to say it. Say that chaplet because it will make the difference for them. It gives them the trust that they need to come through the door of mercy. And when when they're shown how bad their sins are, they're going to say, yeah, Lord, I know I'm bad, but I'm going to trust in your mercy. And that humble repentance and trust is going to open the door for your eternal salvation. If you're going to be self-righteous and judgmental or everybody else, on your deathbed you'll be the same to yourself. There's no reason. Your brain won't be able to comprehend any other way of thinking. That's why we don't like legalism. Jesus says, I desire trust from my creatures. Encourage souls to place great trust in my fathomless mercy. Let the weak, sinful soul have no fear to approach me. Fear comes from the devil. For even if it had more sins than there are grains of sand in the world, all will be drowned in the immeasurable depths of my mercy. 
Man, is that huge. You can be an Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. And if you truly, humbly repent and trust, you can save your soul. More sins than there are grains of sand in the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's just no limit to my mercy. But humble repentance and trust. Can't just Judas humbly repented, but he didn't trust. He went and hung himself. And that leads us into this. So it, this is from Scripture, Matthew, where it says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, deeply regretted what he'd done. So he's sorry. And Judas said to the chief priest, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. So he even confesses. But what happens? Judas goes and hangs himself. Peter, on the other hand, denied Christ three times under oath. I mean, that's pretty full on. I, I tell you, I reckon that's worse than Judas' sin. As Peter had given this responsibility, Peter knew he had this responsibility. Judas was also always apparently a bit of a petty thief and whatnot, but Peter sinned worse, I reckon, than Judas. But the difference is Peter trusted that God would forgive him because he had a loving relationship, whereas Judas didn't. Peter's love only matured after he experienced the mercy of God. Peter would never have been the great saint if he hadn't fallen. Because when he fell, then he was able to experience the mercy. If you have a sin that worries you, that's in your background, and it kind of haunts you, and you think, oh, is this going to threaten me? If you have confessed it, then forget it, because that's then from Satan. Rejoice in the mercy. God wants you to rejoice in the mercy, not focus on the sin. So be happy and rejoice that God can forgive any sin. Power of confession. Man, that's just one heck of a grace. Just praise God for the gift of confession. So never, never be afraid. I used to have a big fear of confession and I was scrupulous and all this terrible stuff. And that's why I'm just so anti all this stuff. We've got to claim the mercy. And when we claim the mercy... Then we know unconditional love. We know what it means to be loved, and I don't deserve it. That's the, that's the beauty. You can't say, oh, I don't deserve to be loved. You don't know one deserves to be loved, but God loves us anyway. That's the way parents love their children. That's the way God loves us. He stamped that into creation. Without his fall, Peter's love would have remained weak. And this is why God sort of lets us do silly things, fall off the cliff and do sins. You, you heard um, Father's story last night about how bad, you know, you, pretty bad. It's a pretty heavy story, actually, when you, if you don't take the music away. It's a pretty heavy testimony, right? But he presents it beautifully. So, but you look what happens. See? You, you then can have the opportunity to discover mercy that the person who hasn't fallen has. Now, I'm not saying go out and sin so you experience God's mercy. That'll just happen in your normal striving of lift the gospel message. We too can only experience the depths of Jesus' mercy after we fall. The bigger the fall, the bigger the opportunity for mercy. So see your failures as opportunities for mercy. Focus on that and, and that will free you of any kind of guilt and stuff. Jesus says, there is more merit to one hour of meditation on my sorrowful passion than there is to a whole year of flagellation that draws blood. 
I think I mentioned this the other day. The contemplation of my painful wounds is of great profit to you, and it brings me great joy. There are few souls who contemplate my passion with true feeling. I give great graces to souls who meditate devoutly on my passion. So this is important to meditate on the passion of Jesus. Why is that? Because all the graces come from the cross. Every wound of Jesus is repairing the sins that you and I commit. And this is what Jesus does. And what does Jesus ask for that? He wants just you to acknowledge that. So when you meditate on his passion, you're you're saying, you know, I have compassion for that nail that went through your hand because you were innocent. It should have been going through my hand. But I thank you, Lord. I'm grateful for this. I honour your mercy. And the power of that blood pouring out of your hand is more powerful than any nuclear reactor in the world. And so I'm going to claim that for myself and I'm going to claim it for others to save people. Jesus will just love you so much because you're, you're acknowledging that and you're helping apply the graces to others who need it. The second gift Jesus gives us is the hour of mercy. Jesus says, at three o'clock any day, implore my mercy, especially for sinners. And if only for a brief moment, immerse yourself in my passion, particularly in my abandonment at the hour of the moment of my agony. This is the hour of great mercy for the whole world. I will allow you to enter into my mortal sorrow. In this hour, I will refuse nothing to the soul that makes request of it in virtue of my passion. Again, all the graces are coming from the passion. Jesus wants us to understand how we get our salvation, how the debt's free, how all graces come from the cross. The third gift is the chaplet of mercy. My daughter, encourage souls to pray the chaplet which I have given you. It pleases me to grant everything they ask of me by saying the chaplet. Through the chaplet, you will obtain everything if what you ask will be compatible with my will. It's always got to be compatible with God's will. Not because he's a killjoy, because God's will, make sure you understand this, God's will is the best thing that can happen to you. Absolutely the best thing that can happen. There's nothing better that can happen to you than God's will. Because God loves you so much, he wants the best for you. So anything that's not compatible with his will it's like, you know, it's like the kids asking, can I play in the traffic, mum? Mum's going to say, you're not going to play in the traffic. You're going to get yourself killed, right? I'm not going to allow that. So if we ask God something that's equivalent to playing in the traffic. He's not going to give it to us because it's not good for us. But if it is good for us, he will give it to us. Say unceasingly this chaplet I have taught you. Whoever will recite it will receive great mercy at the hour of death. So another way to get mercy and trusting is to pray the chaplet. Priests will recommend it to sinners as their last hope of salvation. Even if there were a sinner most hardened, if he were to recite this chaplet only once, he would receive grace from my infinite mercy. It takes 10 minutes to say the chaplet of mercy. Once, a whole sinner's all life, one 10-minute prayer is enough to save them. 
I desire to grant unimaginable graces to those souls who trust in my mercy. What is the chaplet? Well, we have been praying it, so probably most of you are familiar. As you know, we say this prayer on the Our Father bead, on the rosary, and this is what we would have said on the Hail Mary bead. So the, the, the main body of the text is, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Again, Jesus wants to look at, see where the source of grace comes from. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. And then the main, the, the initial prayer, eternal Father. So straight away we see this is a prayer to God the Father. It's not a prayer to Jesus. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. What happens if you have body and blood? You have a corpse. Right? You have the body separated from the blood, you have a corpse. In other words, he gave up his life. When that sword pierced his heart, the last bit of blood flowed from the body. So you're offering God the Father and the divinity, the soul and the divinity. The soul is the essence of who we all are. When our body dies, our soul will live on. And the divinity, in Jesus' case, he's divine. We're offering this to the Father. This is mind-boggling. Many years ago, I went out with a girl who was a very good Christian. She belonged to the Uniting Church. And I just discovered this prayer. And I came back and said, hey, you want to say this prayer with me? Yeah, yeah, let's say it. And then she said, oh, I can't say this prayer. I said, what's the matter? She said, those words. Oh, what words? Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Oh, I can't say that, she said. And she made me think, wow. She's right, they're powerful words. And then I thought about, oh, hang on. Every Mass, this is what happens. The priest, in union with us, we offer the Father, the body, blood, soul, and divinity on the altar. Wow. Yeah, it's powerful. If you can't go to Mass, it's a good little... Mass, mini mass, not doesn't replace the mass, but at least it, it brings the idea of the mass into our hearts. This is a photo I found in a German prayer book which kind of expresses this. This is a, 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 a photo of what happens at mass, right? Now you've got the altar, you've got the altar boards, you've got the priest, and you've got the cross and the chalice and the sacred host. And he's offering to the Father this one eternal sacrifice that happened on Calvary. And there's the priest in persona, as they say, that, that Jesus in the priest, in persona. Right? So that, that's why we respect the priest, because when he says Mass, Christ is present in, he speaks in the first person. Because right? he is offering this what Jesus did to the Father, this one eternal sacrifice. We're not killing Jesus again. We're representing this because it's beyond time. And around here are the 12 apostles. Here's all the congregation. That's me just there. there. And, and then here's all the people, the heavenly hosts, all the angels and saints and even the souls in purgatory. It's a powerful thing. And I first time I did this, people come up to me and said, wow, that photo has changed my whole opinion of what happens at Mass. So that's what happens at Mass. As a priest friend of mine says, whenever we say Mass, we're not alone. We've got all the angels and saints with us. We're all uni uniting the church. Mass is powerful. Jesus says, 
Right, speak of my mercy. Tell souls where they are to look for solace. That is the tribunal of mercy. Jesus is talking about the sacrament of confession as the tribunal of mercy. There the greatest miracles take place and are incessantly repeated. To avail oneself of this miracle, it's not necessary to go on a great pilgrimage or to carry out some external ceremony. It suffices to come with faith to the feet of my representative, the priest, and to reveal to him one's misery, and the miracle of divine mercy will be fully demonstrated. Were a soul like a decaying corpse, so that from a human standpoint there would be no hope of restoration, and everything would already be lost, not so with God. The miracle of divine mercy restores that soul in full. Oh, how miserable are those who do not take advantage of the miracle of God's mercy. You will call out in vain, but it will be too late. You have decided to come through the door of justice and ignore the door of mercy. So you can see how they both survive. The reality of heaven and the reality of hell. God is all loving. We choose. It's so simple to claim God's mercy. We just have to be humble and trust. Tell my priests that hardened sinners will repent on hearing their words when they speak about my unfathomable mercy, about the compassion I have for them in my heart. To priests who proclaim and extol my mercy, I will give wondrous power and I will anoint their words and touch the hearts of those to whom they speak. Some of you might know Father Anthony Bernard when he was ordained. He had the divine mercy image on his prayer card. He was always talking about mercy, mercy. And I watch this and I just see people. I think, wow, that is so true. Tell sinners that no one shall escape my hand. If they run away from my merciful heart, they will fall into my just hands. Tell sinners that I am always waiting for them, that I listen intently to the beating of their heart. Look at the language. When will it beat for me? Write that I am speaking to them through their remorse of conscience through their failures and sufferings, through thunderstorms, through the voice of the church. And if they bring all my graces to naught, I begin to be angry with them. What does he do then? Leaving them alone and giving them what they want. It's very scriptural. It happened in the Old Testament. God would let the people have what they want and to their own consequences. Souls who spread the honour of my mercy, I shield to their entire life as a mother, as a tender mother, her infant. And at the hour of death, I will not be a judge for them, but a merciful saviour. At that last hour, a soul has nothing to which defend itself except my mercy. Happy is the soul that during its lifetime immersed itself in the fountain of mercy because justice will have no hold on it. Talk about mercy. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Understand it yourself. Dive into it. 
experience and then share the joy. The fourth gift, the last gift, is the feast of mercy. My daughter, tell the whole world about my inconceivable mercy. I desire that the feast of mercy be a refuge and shelter for all souls, and especially for poor sinners. On that day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open. I pour out a whole ocean of graces, look at the language, upon those souls who approach the fount of my mercy. The soul that will go to confession and receive whole communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. On that day, the divine floodgates through which grace flow are opened. Let no soul fear to draw near to me even though its sins be as scarlet. My mercy is so great that no mind, be it of man or angel, talk about a blow-away line, will be able to fathom it throughout all eternity. The angels are up there in heaven going, I can't believe that person is getting saved. Right? That's the kind of thing. Because you know why? The angels, when the angels rebelled, they were judged instantly, and they, those who rebelled became demons and kicked out of heaven. Those who remained faithful stayed. They only really had one chance because they knew a lot more about God than we do. We have a limited thing. So our judgment, that's why they find it hard to believe that God could be so generous just countless times over and over and over and over again. The feast of mercy emerged from the very depths of my tenderness. It is my desire that it be solemnly celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter, mankind will not have peace until it turns to the fount of my mercy. This gift of the Feast of Mercy is phenomenal. It is huge. Let me just show you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying you celebrate the feast on the first Sunday after Easter. What does it mean? We sincerely repent of all our sins. We place complete trust in Jesus. We go to confession. Now, it doesn't have to be on the day. Poor old priest, they all get hounded on Divine Mercy Sunday. They don't have to be that day, right? Um, but you have to receive communion worthily on the feast. So if you're not in a state of grace, you need to go to communion, uh, you need to go to confession before the Feast of Mercy or on the day. That's why it's better to go a little earlier. So poor, don't hound the poor priest. Venerate the image, right? We talked about venerating the image. Right? Just Jesus, I trust in you. Just take seconds. Be merciful to others through our actions, words, and prayers on our behalf. We had to do a work of mercy also on the Feast of Mercy. If you do all those things, all your sins are forgiven. You're going to say to me, well, hang on, Paul. I thought every time I go to confession, all my sins are forgiven. They are. But what happens is, we have debt due to sin, right? What is debt due to sin, right? I'm going to pick on John again, right? I'm walking past John's place. John's got this big window in front of his house. I pick up the house brick and I just hurl it straight through the front of his window, right? smash it completely. Off I go, right? Overnight, I have a bit of a conscience attack and I come back. I say, listen, John, I'm really sorry about the brick through the window, mate. And, and John being the... Um, very compassionate man he is. He says, oh, it's okay, Paul. I forgive you. I says, great. See you, John. John goes, oh, oh Paul, um, before we go, mate, um, 
like a big hole in the window, like all the rain getting in. Oh, are you going to pay for it? Oh, I've got no money. Can you put something towards it? Oh, I don't have that much. Well, could you come and help the people who are going to repair it? In other words, part of the, my, my repentance for putting a brick through his window is that I need to do some little bit of to show. It, it might not be repair the whole window. It doesn't ask, ask for that. But he wants something to show, right? This is called reparation for sin or debt due to sin. So we, get, we build up this debt due to sin and... Um, that's what we do when we go to purgatory. We spend time repairing for these sins through our life, debt due to sin. Okay? Divine Mercy Sunday is different because it wipes away all of that. John Paul had the Vatican theologians study this, and they came back and said the only place that we have this in the church is really like the sacrament of baptism. If you receive the baptism as an adult, all sin and all debt due to sin is completely wiped away, like just spotless. So that's why in the early church they had a thing where they weren't baptizing people till later in life. And then they said, no, 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 you can't do that. You've got to baptize young so they got the grace. Right? So then you'll say to me, some of you who are a bit more knowledgeable might say, ah, but isn't that a plenary indulgence? Well, this is not a plenary indulgence, right? However, Pope John Paul II did give a plenary indulgence for anyone who applies this. You say, well, hang on, what do you mean? A plenary indulgence can be applied for the dying. You can do a plenary indulgence for someone in purgatory. This does not apply for somebody in purgatory. It's only a desire of someone living. But this is greater. This not only this takes away sins, you still have to confess them. But it takes away all debt due to sin and all venial sin is wiped away. So you do this once a year, and it doesn't matter whether you've had a history of being Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. If you do those points, your soul will be spotless before God. Now, I don't know about you, but i got stuff in my past that I, I just want to forget, right, and bury. Right? It's lovely to know that I can apply this and it's all gone. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to say, Lord, what about that thing? He said, I don't remember. <laughs> you went to Divine Mercy Sunday, I don't remember, it's gone. <laughs> so we've got to trust, okay? So look, I can, for some of you who are probably a bit more theologically inclined, want to nuance, nuance the finer points, but believe me, this is big, there's nothing like it in the church. And a lot of people don't understand it, well, sadly a lot of priests don't understand it, but um, I really encourage you to celebrate this feast because it is an extraordinary grace. And look, look what's happening. The world's going further and further into sin. You know, if it was you or me, we'd just say, well, look, just strike a lot of them out and that's it. What does he do? He says, no, let's, let's give them more mercy. Let's give them the feast of mercy. That's, that kind of mercy has never been heard of in the whole of mankind. Give them an opportunity. They can be the most worst sinner ever and they can still be saved. There's no reason why anyone should be lost. And for those of us who haven't, for our friends and family who haven't heard this message and don't understand it, we can share it with them. And if, if they haven't got that opportunity, you can pray for them that they will get this opportunity. Jesus wants us to save souls. And the more souls you can bring to heaven, just how, how, how grateful will they be, those souls. I used to have a friend of mine, she said to me, she rang me up on the, when John Paul died. 
John Paul died the 2nd of April 2005. This was the statement. The Holy Father died 9.37 this evening in his private apartment. At 8pm, the celebration of Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday began in the Holy Father's room. She rang me up and she said, I'm ringing up to apologise. What are you apologising for? What do you, what's, what do you mean? I don't understand. She said, oh, I used to knock you about what was going on about Divine Mercy. She says, and then when I found out that the Holy Father died on the, after the Divine Mercy Vigil Mass, she said that sort of hit home to her how the Lord was saying, this pontiff, his whole thing is about mercy. This is, this is, this is the fulfilment of his life. And uh, I heard one priest, he said, he said, oh, what a pity that he didn't just, the Lord didn't take him to like the next day, you know, on the, right on the feast rather than the vigil. But you know what? You know what that Saturday was? It was the first Saturday of the month. And if you're familiar with the Fatima message, that's another great significant day. So the Lord chose to combine this great Marian priest and Divine Mercy priest to take him home on the eve of the vigil of Divine Mercy, which is the first Saturday of the month, which locks in with the whole Fatima devotion. It's like, wow, wow. It's, um, it's amazing. You know, I have, I have um, a paper at home that's by Australian theologians written back in, uh, in the 90s. It says, the Pope will never declare Divine Mercy Sunday. The Pope might like his uh, thing, but it's, ne it's never going to be. You can't have all the re theological reasons why we couldn't have it. But what happened? Uh, on the, the time that St. Faustina got canonised, the first saint of the new millennium, and which he called the feast, he called the millennium of mercy. This is the millennium of mercy. And he, he said, from now on, the Sunday after Easter will be known as the feast of divine mercy. So it shot all the people down with their theories and people like us who've been waiting for years and said, yes, you know. <laughs> but a lot of people say the feast of mercy is only optional. It's in the ordo, the English ordo. It's optional. It's, you can still call it uh, the, uh, the, the Sunday after Easter, not Divine Mercy Sunday. This is a tragedy. And Satan got into this. When they translated the papal declaration from Latin to English, it, it, the word was badly translated and came out, or. And so people said, oh, it's all, it's optional. And there's so many priests in my diocese who think it's optional. It's not true. It's actually compulsory. It was never written like that in the Latin. You go back and read it, and um, it's, it's a pity. So just clear that up. It's not optional. Last thing. My daughter, I demand from you deeds of mercy, which are to arise out of your love for me. You are to show mercy to your neighbours always and everywhere. You must not shrink from this or try to absolve yourself from it. And forget on the Feast of Mercy, you need to do a work of mercy, even if it's just praying for someone or visiting the sick or something. I'm giving you three ways of exercising mercy towards your neighbour. First by deed, second by word, third by prayer. In these three degrees is contained the fullness of mercy and is an unquestionable proof of love for me. By this means, a soul glorifies and pays reverence to my mercy. Yes, the first Sunday after Easter is the Feast of Mercy, 
but they must also be acts of mercy. And I demand the worship of my mercy through the solemn celebration of the feast and the veneration of the image which is painted. Look at that interesting, right? We um, worship God's mercy. We worship. We normally talk about worshiping a person, but it brings back to that little basic: God doesn't have qualities. God is his quality. So God is not loving. God is love itself, right? So God is not mercy and that's merciful. God is the essence of mercy himself. So when we worship mercy in the fullest sense, we are worshiping Jesus himself. One thing I want to mention, I forgot to mention this morning. I don't know how many of you are here for the Mary talk. I just, this is very important. I wanted to say this. I totally forgot. You know, I said my wife had no devotion to Mary, right? When she... At the moment she got healed, she actually heard Mary's voice. And, and Mary said to her, Julie, don't worry, just trust. Everything will be all right. And on hearing that, immediately she felt the love of Mary as a mother. Suddenly she went from having no devotion to Mary to f- completely loving her as a mother, and she hasn't lost that in 10 years. So that's, um, I think that was worth stressing. All right, guys, God bless, and um, I'm going to be here till Tuesday, so if anybody wants to come up and have a, I'm I'm leaving Tuesday morning, when it comes up between now and have a chat, I'm happy to, to chat with you. All right, thank you. That was Paul Ellard with A Message of Mercy. This presentation was part of the 2018 Immaculata Mission School held in Hobart, Tasmania, on the theme, Being a Disciple of Jesus. For more talks, interviews, and shows, visit cradio.org.au.